Welcome to another episode of It's Personal, the podcast, where we interview our performers about their pieces from the It's Personal stage. I'm Riley Billingsley, your host today and the artistic director of It's Personal. Sam Severella tells the story of a basement, a place far too many people have had to visit, at a horrifying show last fall. She accompanied her powerful storytelling by building a basement out of children's building blocks. While we encourage our listeners to leave their comfort zones with us, the following episode contains descriptions of sexual assault and may not be suitable for all. Discretion is advised. Let's get personal. pale blue and the walls were a darker shade of blue. I remember feeling suffocated by how much blue there was in this typical East Coast subterranean dwelling, otherwise known as a basement. (laughs) If you're like me and grew up in New Jersey, you spent your formative years in your basement or your friend's basement and you definitely got so drunk on your 18th birthday that you passed out in your basement. But this basement was different. I'd spent many nights in it before, but one night it would become a place where I would hide myself away for years. I was 15, maybe. Honestly, most of the details are still a blur. I had never done anything with a boy before, except making out and some light touching, and I knew I wasn't ready for anything more than that. He didn't care. His mom was home, his little brother was home, his grandma was home, and he did not care. We sat together on the leather couch, brown leather to go with the blue walls and carpet, and watched Deal or No Deal. He was wearing a Cowboys jersey. It was his favorite team, and the jersey was way too big for a skinny frame. I don't remember what I was wearing. He started to rub my arm or maybe it was my leg and tried to get me to pay him more attention than I was paying Howie Mandel. I was nervous. He was making a move and I was not into it, but I was polite and I had been taught by countless magazines and older girls in 90s rom-coms that if the cute guy made a move, you allowed it. Not only that, You should be honored. After all, he wasn't just the cute guy, he was the bad boy. And I was just some Catholic school nerd who was afraid to say the word penis. Maybe he kissed me. Finesse wasn't his strength. The next thing I remember is him grabbing my boob, like grabbing it honka honka style. Again, not much finesse here, but I was 15 and thought this is how it all worked. Maybe I asked him to stop. Honestly, I probably just giggled and said, (laughs) no, meekly, as I'd seen so many other women do it on TV, trying to be cute through my fear. The next thing I remember, 
I'm on my back, pinned down, his face contorted. He was smiling, but it wasn't a smile I'd ever seen on anyone's face before. I just laid there and stared at the light coming from the kitchen upstairs, wishing somebody would come down. I don't remember much else. See, that's the thing about trauma. You don't remember it until one day you're sitting in the middle of a women's circle doing breath work and suddenly you drop back into that basement like you're in the movie, get out. I could smell the carpet, I could see the walls. I even remember where the random post stood in the middle of the room that kept the ceiling from caving in. I'm not a contractor, but I'm pretty sure that's a load-bearing post. I'll never forget what he said to me, though. He held me down and said something about him taking my virginity, and I said I wasn't ready. And with that same smile I remember from years ago, he looked at me and said, Oh, I think you are. But he didn't take it. I honestly don't know why he stopped. After what felt like a lifetime, his mom appeared at the top of the stairs and he hopped back up on that couch and resumed watching Deal or No Deal as if he hadn't just scared the shit out of me. It was nothing to him. I was just a game he liked to play. Ever since that women's circle, I've been in and out of that basement, reliving memories of him when I don't want to. But the scariest part, he's a father to two girls now. And I just really hope their house doesn't have a basement. Just gonna stand there and watch me so nice to be in my closet <laughs> I know and I'm in my closet um I just want to say thank you so much for sharing this story um such a amazing performance that you did at our horrifying show and I just really appreciate you sharing um so how was that first so this was your first it's personal show it I was think, right? yeah <laughs> And how was that first rehearsal when you shared this story? The first rehearsal, I remember driving to Liz's and I was shaking. Like I was just because I had backup stories, but I just knew mm. in my heart I wasn't 
it, that I wasn't going to do those backup stories. So I was like coming to terms with the fact that for the first time ever, like even though I'm a playwright and a stand-up comic, I've never shared this story with an audience publicly before. So when I got to the rehearsal and we're sitting in a circle and you do like the whole disclaimer, like don't, you know, don't judge your own work and all this stuff. I was just, I was shaking like a leaf. Like it was crazy. And I'm not someone who gets nervous. And then when it was finally my turn, I like kind of blacked out. Like I just Mm -hmm. read it like right off the paper. And then when I like came to, everybody was like staring at me. And then I felt just completely enveloped by a caring community of artists and people and then soon to be friends. So it started off as a completely terrifying experience and ended like really incredibly because that cast made it so. So Mm -hmm. it was wild. (laughs) Wow. So did you then that like solidified that you were going to do the piece because you felt like kind of like the the group like made you feel safe enough to do it yeah I mean I even it's funny I don't even remember what the other stories were that I brought in um because I even think I said I have other ones and I don't know if it was you or it was Liz but you were like no no that's probably the one (laughs) it was like perfectly written like there was nothing you needed to even like add or edit it was like all perfectly ready for stage I was like I mean it's yeah when you guys said that forget it my ego was like perfect thank you so much the fear is gone it was it was great uh no it was but yeah you know when you feel when you feel that safety in numbers uh especially when you're doing something live or you're going to do something live to know that you're in uh you know this um kind of this melting pot of people that doesn't matter it doesn't matter what it what happens when you're on stage when you get backstage that support is going to be there whether you completely forgot your whole piece and it went crazy or it went really well and feelings come up that team is backstage and that was why I was like I was like okay I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go for it like let's do Mm -hmm. it so you're like a very funny person and I I think probably I thought for sure you'd write something funny um how was it like to find the balance between the comedy and the heartfelt parts of the piece? Because you definitely had a lot of comedy in there. But as you can hear when we listen to the recording, people aren't necessarily laughing at your jokes because they feel very uncomfortable. Um, but at the beginning, they are because at the beginning, they're not sure where the story's going. So like, how did you figure out a way to still add humor into this um intense story I mean I guess it's always been my coping mechanism has always been comedy so while this was the first time I've told the story live I have told this story to people before um Mm -hmm. but never in a way that's been like hi hello um this really scary thing happened to me I've always just told it comedically Because that's just how I've always told stories, whether they are good, whether they are bad, because, you know, people tell me I'm funny. People tell me I'm the person who makes them laugh. So I never want to be the opposite of that. So when I geared up to do this piece, 
I didn't set out being like, I'm going to stick it to him. I'm going to be super serious and finally get my scary story across. I was just telling it kind of the way I've always told it. And there is a bit of safety in that for me that, Mm -hmm. you know, if I comment on the load bearing post or I comment on how we are watching deal or no deal, you know, those are the moments that give me time to breathe when I'm Mm -hmm. telling the story. So I guess I just, without even noticing, found that brevity kind of on accident to protect myself while I while I yeah. told the story like you were just being true to yourself mm-hmm. in the way that you would tell it can you explain like so this women's circle so you like went to this like breathwork thing and this kind of just came like this thing that you had buried kind of came flooding back yes so Uh, A very good friend of mine is she is like a witchy wonder and she's been trying to get me into breath work and meditation and all of these things for so long. And I am just a cynic. Like You just couldn't tell me that meditation or breathing is going to work on a 30 year old New Jersey born and bred woman. I just can't close my eyes and woo woo into anything. So finally, she was like, just come with me. Our other friend is going to come. So the three of us. I go to this women's circle and I mean, anything that's going to make me feel like maybe I'm a little Hermione Granger on the inside, like I'll try it. Like, you know, I won't, I won't ignore it. So, um, we go to this women's circle and it is, it's beautiful. It's actually kind of stunning how this, the woman leading the group who is now a dear friend of mine and she sets up the room safely again it comes back to safety you know this I felt safe in this room and she starts talking about like we started we do a bunch of sharing stuff and we're like writing in our journals and it's like really cool women energy like it's awesome and then she's like okay we're gonna start doing the breath work and I'm like okay she's like okay lay down put a blanket on because some people get cold you're you might feel some tingling in your fingers and she's like Giving you, like, you know, like when you um, watch TV and the prescription has, like, a ton of disclaimers, she's <laughs> yeah. doing that about breath work. And I'm, try- I'm trying not to laugh. I'm just like, this woman yeah. thinks my my fingers are going to tingle from fucking breathing. Sorry, I, if I'm not allowed to say that. It's, I I, it's fine. I think you swear in your piece, maybe? I, I probably. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. Don't listen to this with your kids for so many reasons. Um, but, yeah, and we're, and she's giving these disclaimers and I'm kind of humored by it so I lay down I like put a blanket on because one thing I love to do in meditation is fall asleep so I figured at nothing you know at the very best I get a nap and we start doing the breath and I mean like I say in my piece I don't know when it happened but it literally felt like I fell through the ground Mm -hmm. and it scared the it scared the shit out of me because I um if, I'm sorry if you can hear my dog. He's also scared. Um, <laughs> but I, it felt like I fell through the ground. And it was the thing that freaked me out the most was the smell. Is the sm- I could smell this basement that I reference. And Whoa. I'm, yeah, I'm even, I'm like kind of getting like freaked out about it now, like talking about it because that nothing prepares you for that. Nothing prepares you for like this out of body experience and 
I couldn't hear the living room that I had started in. I didn't hear the woman leading the meditation anymore. I didn't feel my friend grabbing my hand. I wasn't there. And to a skeptic, to a cynic, I must sound like a lunatic. To myself, I sound like a lunatic, but I know this. Yeah, but that's like what ptsd is i feel right you know? oh don't worry we then talk to the uh, my therapist and we get really oh, yeah. we deep dive into that because i yep. legit I, I it didn't end until i heard someone going are you here are you here and i like kind of recognized it to be the woman leading the meditations voice and then sh- then somebody grabbed the arches of my feet and like applied pressure and then I felt someone grab my wrist and it was like I did like one of those you know like I just mm-hmm. came back like when someone puts like ammonia under your nose when you pass out from right. uh getting blood drawn not like I know that but it's happened uh yeah so that ex- that was and then I I still like wasn't there I I I've never done acid or mushrooms but I feel like this had to be close you know, yeah. it was it was that mm-hmm. trippy. I was that out of it afterwards. Like there was essential oils. Like we had to really like ground me again. It was crazy. Wow. I just can't imagine. Like I've definitely been in breath work or done like those types of things and had kind of like intense experiences. But that's really crazy to have that kind of come flooding back, especially the scent. Wow. Um. How did you come up with your activity of building the basement out of blocks? I really don't remember how that came to be. I just knew. I knew when I, I think I decided that when we were in rehearsal, that first rehearsal, or maybe it was the second one, but mm-hmm. I remember you and Liz were just like, what's your activity? And I was like, I'm going to build the basement with Legos. And you like tentatively were like, do you? do you know what your song is? And I was like, I do. And like, I just, <laughs> I knew every piece of it because when it came to activities, I remember watching past its personal shows and some activities had literally nothing to do with the piece. Some were like dead on and I didn't know which end of the spectrum I wanted to go with. But then I had this idea of because I'm so specific in the piece about the rug, the walls, the posts, the right. stairs, I could see it all. And I, I don't know, like, if this is like the method actor deep within me, but I was like, oh, this will probably like freak me out when I'm doing it. So it'll be like a really powerful experience on stage. Uh, I was right. <laughs> I was definitely mm-hmm. right. But there was a little bit of that, like, I thought it might be a good actor trick and then it just ended up because honestly the hardest part about that activity was me privately in my home building it before rehearsal mm-hmm. because I wanted to have it done and ready to go so that I could start building it the same way every single time and I took it really seriously like that was the part that was odd to me because I never thought because First, I was like, oh, I can hula hoop because I know how to hula hoop. I was like, oh, maybe I can jump rope. I know how to jump rope. Like I had all of these ideas for activities I just knew how to do. Um, I just never I never envisioned that I'd be like sitting on my own like living room floor playing with these like child blocks. Mm-hmm. Quite literally going back to this place that I haven't been in over 15 years. So that was it was trippy to say the least. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like. 
if you had not been so like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do, I probably would have been like, that seems like a little intense and literal. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, it's one of those things where it can really, like, mess with you on a personal level to, like, go back there. And, I mean, it, it was it was really great on stage, especially because you had, like, the color of the carpet and the load-blaring wall and, like, all those things. And it was, like, this juxtaposition of, like, this childlike activity and, like, this really horrible thing. Um, yeah. And I would say, like, as women, like, so many of us have these uh, stories of sexual assault. Do you feel like there were women that related to this piece either in rehearsal or after you shared it on stage? I wish I could say no, but, you know, I think the part of the piece that most women relate to is the kind of hodgepodge of of memory, you know, because I don't remember the story you know, sequentially or perfectly. And it's, I remember um, when Christine Blasey Ford was recounting her, her story for uh, the Kavanaugh hearing. And I remember Mm -hmm. her being berated for not remembering things that happened over 25 plus years ago. Things that you would absolutely push out of your mind. Yeah. I just remember that what I felt like watching her And that was what I related to from her because I didn't have the experience she had, but I had the experience of when I would tell people this story, you know, it's like, I'm very lucky. I was not raped. Like I wasn't. And yes, this thing was traumatic, but the most traumatic part about it was when I would tell the story and people would look at me and be like, I don't know. He's like such a nice guy. And so... I started to also believe that. I mean, my history with this individual spans over six years. So, you know, and so I think that's the part that resonated with women is because we are so often not believed and we are so often told that we are crazy or that, you know, we were asking for it or we were young and impressionable. So all of these things were told so that you know, when we go and say, hey, this terrible thing happened to me. For me, this story, my biggest fear was that people weren't going to think it was as traumatic as I felt it was because right. I didn't have this full, you know, rape in a basement, you know, fantasy that, you know, people expect as the story goes on. But like it has to be the worst, the worst of the like the scenarios for people to even care about it almost exactly and so and we all women all have variations exactly and that's something I worked through a lot with my therapist because when I was working on this piece I had a lot of uh, imposter syndrome mm-hmm. issues coming up because I just kept saying I'm like and this relates back to whether or not women could relate to the piece I was just like you know I don't know, like, this is so bad for me. But if I was listening to somebody tell this story, I'd be like, well, at least you got out of there. And it's like, I clearly didn't. I locked myself in that basement for 15 years, Mm -hmm. you know, in the, in this scenario. So do I think women related to the piece? Absolutely. Um, And I think it's deeper than just being physically assaulted. I think 
a lot of women, and this is very, very rarely talked about, especially in entertainment, especially in, on uh, on stage and in movies and on TV, is the psychological effects of these experiences. And it's not mm-hmm. even the experiences themselves. It's the process afterwards of the narrative and the belief. It's like people expect you to be like, well, what time was it when the first touch happened? And you're like, I wasn't looking at a clock. They're like, well, then yeah. how can we believe any other part of your story? And it's then you sit there and you're like, yikes. Like, yeah, I guess. Like, how can you believe it? I mean, so. I think that um, especially with the Christine Blassie Ford, and I'm I'm glad that you brought that up. Like when that happened, when she was testifying, I think so many people I know were having um, really serious, like it was really messing with them because it was reminding them of their own trauma um and it was just yeah it's such an intense thing that she had to like relive that and then so many of us it was like in the news you couldn't escape it like I had to like stop myself from going online for a few days because I was like it's too much it's too much of the trauma like coming back and that feeling and you know and then for him to be confirmed, it's just like it was such a slap in the face. Like, you know, it's right. just to everyone, to yeah. everyone. It just it 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 speaks volumes when something like that happens, because it just and this is why I think storytelling is so powerful. And the medium of its personal is so profound, because so often our stories are not heard. And if they are heard, mm-hmm. they are discounted because we are women uh, and because, you know, of this gender stereotyping that we lie or we use sexuality to advance our careers and our lives and that we are crazy and that for one week a month, you really can't listen to a woman because they're menstruating, uh, you know, and, <laughs> you know, when things like the confirmation of, of Justice Kavanaugh, I mean, I remember spiraling like to this day like and the Brock Turner and like all of that it's like Mm -hmm. it's not just a news story it's not it's just not because you're like you're like oh I'm brought back to if they're saying oh don't ruin his life because I've been there I've been in the place where I had the opportunity to ruin someone's life and uh, you know my my situation is a little bit different because like no, I mean, he would have just gotten in trouble and yeah. I probably would have just been told boys will be boys because I had, you know, but he stalked me like it was, you know, it was mm-hmm. beyond this and it didn't matter if I was like, see, he's outside the house in his car. They were like, well, he must really love you. <laughs> yeah. Like, crazy to hear that narrative when you're 15, 16 years old. And in my case, like I'd never experienced love. I don't know many people who have outside of familial love when they're 15 or 16. So this was my first experience. So I was just like, you know, besides Jonathan Taylor Thomas and all of NSYNC, this was my first love. So it was, yeah, it's that sensation of not knowing. And then even as an adult, especially reliving this for its personal and it's kind of weird I always knew ever since I saw its personal I there was a part of me that knew that when you guys came to me to ask me to be in the show I kind of knew I'm like it's gonna be a theme that I can tell this story 
And mm-hmm. sure enough, the horrifying email came through, and I was like, "Well, sh- well, shit." <laughs> yeah, you know? like you needed the um, that like specific outlet to mm-hmm. be like, "I have this story to tell, and I want to tell it, but I like need the the opportunity to." Yeah, almost. That's crazy. Um, one thing, I mean. I think is one of the most powerful lines in the whole piece is um, when you talk about how um, he grew up and you saw him on Facebook and he has daughters and you hope that they don't have a basement. Um, And I just think it's such a powerful statement about abusers and like who they grew up to be and who they raise. And I I was so afraid somehow he is going to hear it. And he is going to know it's about him because um, I, I do not have contact with him, period. But I, I do see him on Facebook. And it is one of those things where it's like, I just kind of want to know where he is at all times. Yeah. Um, so the line, I just hope their house doesn't have a basement is kind of a double meaning. Like, yeah, physically, like, you know, bummer. Basements suck. They're literally always bad. I've never seen a horror movie or like a thriller where like the basement was in California now. Right. We just have have none. Um, And uh, the second meaning is that I just I hope he doesn't behave that way anymore. If someone came up to me, if he came up to me and said, I am a good guy now, I am honorable and I'm kind and I no longer gaslight and all of these things like the wave of relief that would rush over me would just be so profound I don't want him to be a jerk off like I don't want him to be the guy I knew when I was so young like I you know and that's another reason like I like looking on Facebook is because you know you know like Facebook often does things look good things look okay Right. But, you know, the irony of having two daughters is not to be ignored. And, you know, yeah, you know, I've watched enough SVU. I've watched enough TV shows to know that sometimes I am the only one. And, you know, it's, you know, that special case where it's like, I mean, I knew other girls he dated and I'm the only one with this personal brand of stories, whether or not they've felt like they've shared with me or not. But, you know, I hope none of them have basements in their houses when it comes to him, because this story represents far more than just this one experience. This was kind of just the first of many file folders uh, that got opened way up when I started. I mean, when I went to this women's circle, I hadn't thought about this experience. I can't even begin to tell you. And then for like the next year, because I went to this women's circle like a year before I did its personal. So for a year, I was just like, I mean, I would have nightmares. I would just remember like random things everywhere in my life. And that, you know, and I will be very honest, I, as a writer, as a performer, it's something I've never been able to get out except in poetry, which is my that's like my writing for me. I very mm-hmm. rarely share my poetry because it's like that's my my thing. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the only way I've been able to dispel him. And I'll never forget what I felt like after I came off the stage that night. It honestly felt like 
something came out of my body and never went back in. Yeah. And that... It was like I, you were released of it. And that's... Truly. The best part about It's Personal is that you tell the story and then it's out there and you get to, like, let it go, kind of. Yeah. Um, I haven't had a nightmare since. <laughs> like, yeah. not about that specific, you know, that specific incident, but so much of... You know, there are songs that used to like I would have to stop driving my car if they came on because I would start shaking. The The yeah. one that I used in the show is was one of them. And um, that doesn't happen to me anymore. Like I actually haven't felt that weight on my chest again until I re-listened to it. Because, I mean, up until two days ago, I hadn't heard myself do the piece. And that was like it's interesting because it was the first time like even I believed me. Right. Because so much of trauma, so much of abuse is like you don't even believe it yourself. You know, you tell yourself so many things to protect you that when I was listening to myself tell the story, I had so much empathy for the girl telling it for the first time ever. You know, I finally heard this girl who was hurt rather than this this girl who was just trying to tell a story and be like, someone please listen to me. Like, so even if nobody listened to me, I listened to me for the first time and Right. That's a gift I don't know that I would have ever gotten if not for this opportunity with its personal. What about like the fact that now this is in a podcast and it's like living in a way that's not just in the um the small audience that came to the show that night? Like, do you feel any fear about the fact that it's like out there in the world in a in a way that like people can access it that you might not even know that they are going to access it. Uh yeah. Uh this is you know it's funny cuz when we do the shows um you even say you're like this is going to be recorded if you don't want it recorded just let us know or we mm-hmm. just won't use it for the podcast and at the time I'm just like oh pff. I guess I also was maybe like, I don't know if this would be something they would choose. So, like, I just didn't even think about it. Um, and then a couple of weeks and ago. here we are. I know. And then a couple of weeks ago, you were like, get ready. We're doing the podcast. And I was like, perfect. My masturbation story comes to life. And you're like, oh, no. The basement story. No, stay tuned for that, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah stay tuned. <laughs> if that's not a teaser, <laughs> no pun yeah. intended. Um, see, I am funny. But, uh yeah, the again, but the biggest fear is actually nothing to do with the story or nothing to do with the content. My biggest fear is people won't believe me because, I mean, you know, people still from from back home. And I don't know if th- this might also even be my fault because I've always approached, uh, you know, the situation I had with this individual. I've always approached it with such a light attitude because I never really wanted people to know how bad I've struggled with it then and then struggle with it to this day. So people still make the same jokes at me that I've made to them before, you know, so I don't know who's going to hear this. You know, know, I think of my family. uh, I Mm -hmm. think of friends from back home who know this individual. uh, I think of the individual. Um, That's probably my biggest fear just because... Not, I don't know. I don't know what I would do if, you know, that horrible moment in every person's life when a name flashes across their iPhone in a text message and you're like, 
oh, that's not good. You just yeah. know. You just know what it is. And um, there, is, you know, there is that inherent fear. But again, we as women cannot be scared of this anymore. If we have a story, if we even have a flickering memory that makes our stomach hurt or makes us not fall asleep at night, share it if you can. Share it so that another girl who is scared of her flicker shares her flicker until suddenly the fucking earth is on fire with our light because hashtag time is fucking up so I don't care who hears it I don't care who listens I hope I hope it brings balance to this fucking force of not listening to women not listening Mm -hmm. to our stories and then even if you do listen ignoring what we're asking for we're not asking for much we are literally asking to be believed something that i think men for too long have taken for granted because men speak and it is just automatic Uh uh-huh yes that is the truth and when a woman says something it's just like i just like don't know like what are the um what's the evidence and you're like oh no i was 15 I wasn't like, you know, Dexter getting blood samples while I was in the basement. I was busy trying to fight for my life, you know, so I'm, I'm screaming. I apologize for screaming. I mean, it's not uncommon for you to scream. <laughs> it's very true, but it's, you know, it gets me, it gets me mad and it's, it starts off fear-based, like completely fear-based because it's not a conversation I want to have with anybody, you know, it's, right. but again, I also, I made the choice. You know, if there was ever a time to use the phrase she was asking for it, like, this is actually what this means. Like, it doesn't matter if I was wearing a skirt or a bikini, like, you know, in my piece. That wasn't asking for it. Me publicly coming forth with my story in, in this atmosphere, in this uh, medium, I'm asking for it. If you're a woman and you want to talk, great. My phone line is open. If you're this dude and you want to talk, let's go. Let's dance. Like... We got to talk about it. We have to normalize trauma for women in a way that has not been done before. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not saying that this podcast or my piece is going to spark the revolution, but much like Christine Blasey Ford did for me or when the victim in the Brock Turner case came forward and said her her side of things. Those oh, were so the, powerful. It's insane. It's insane to go back and watch those things. And when they were writing those pieces, I don't think they were sitting there being like, well, this is the line I'm going to start the women's march on. And it's like, yeah, but it you never know who's listening. Kind of mm-hmm. back to your question. You never know who's listening. And if I reach even just one person, I mean, I already reached myself, so I'm feeling pretty victorious. So, you know, well, it's not your fault. And <laughs> I just commend you for telling the story and I certainly related to it and I just think it's a beautiful piece. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. I do have one last question um, (laughs) because just on a lighter note, um, it was the horrifying show. So it was Halloween themed. What was your favorite Halloween costume that you ever dressed up as? Oh my God. Okay. So I have two. 
I have to. Okay. What a great question. Okay, so I have like a childhood Halloween costume, and then I have an adult Halloween costume. Love it. Perfect. So my childhood Halloween costume that I was obsessed with, it, the year was 1997. You might remember because a little film was in the theaters called Titanic. That's right. I was seven. Oh, I was, wait, I've seen this picture. I, yeah. Oh, my God. You sent me this. I was seven years old. I was seven. And I said to my mom, I said, I want to be Rose DeWiptecator. Who knows how I even pronounced her name. Didn't matter. I was like, I want to be Rose from Titanic. Make it happen, lady. And my mother loves Halloween. She and loves making her kids happy. So this was like such a double whammy for Lisa. She couldn't wait. She goes to Party City and immediately notices they don't have child costumes for the cast and characters of Titanic. I, I know. So I was shocked, too. And she gets me a Scarlett O'Hara dress. Like, gone with the wind, Scarlett O'Hara. Why do they have a child Scarlett O'Hara dress? <laughs> so many questions. So, it was the 90s. So, like, that. <laughs> a little bit of that. Um, but she got that dress for me because the hat had, like, a, a big like brimmed hat so it mm-hmm. looked like the hat from the opening scene when she comes out of the car and she is just opulent as ever you know mm-hmm. you know the scene yeah, yes. Yes, and then I was like not convinced by any means that this was the outfit and my mom was like don't worry I have what's going to complete this look it's in the mail it's coming I'm we're going to do it and I'm like okay I waited and my mother got me the heart of the ocean necklace <laughs> I think I slept with it on. I can't even lie. And I probably threw it into like so many bathtubs being like, oh. yeah, um, you know, so that's my favorite <laughs> childhood Halloween costume. Because like I said, my mother like really did Halloween. Well, I mean, one year she dressed up as a hot dog and like my brother and I both didn't live at home. Like she just did that because yeah. she wanted to dress up for Halloween. She chose a hot dog. Um, <laughs> and then as an adult, I got heavily into Buffy the Vampire Slayer (laughs) and um, my ex-boyfriend and I and my old roommate and his friend, um, we dressed up as Buffy, Spike, Giles, and Xander. And spoiler alert, we also had a dark willow, but you know, um, it was, I still have the trench coat that I wore as Buffy and... Can you, do you have a picture? Because now I've watched Buffy and I need to see the picture. <laughs> you, and, wa- and tell the people why you watch Buffy. Um, because you made me. Because I forced you. <laughs> um, yes. But yeah, I do have a picture. I, I mean, I spray painted the hair of my ex. So it was like white spike wise. <laughs> it was like all too much to handle. Um, and at the time, I mean, I've been sober now for like four plus years and I wasn't drink. I remember I didn't drink when I was at this Halloween but I remember feeling so drunk on joy because I was Buffy for the night like it was overwhelming like how uh intense but uh other than that I really don't like Halloween I'll be honest really I like hey I'm so sorry Halloween is not my jam no I love dress I like being in costume but like that's why I went to Mm -hmm. acting school and spent so much money doing that um but like Halloween can really like s my d because I don't like being scared like I really hate it you know, so many of my friends can tell stories about, like, how I'm always the victim of some kind of, like, crime when I'm on a hayride or something. Like, people just smell me from a mile away, and they're like, we know where the fear is. She's sitting in the third row of the hayride. Get her. And, like, literally, I'm just always attacked because I hate it. What I hate being scared. What kind of 1950s, 1930s <laughs> hayride are you going to? You know, the one, the one in Griffith Park. That's how they all talk. 
In case you haven't been there, it is a 1950s Carney vibe. Uh, it's not, but it's. I can't express to you how terrifying it is. I'm glad COVID has shut down fun for the foreseeable future because no one's getting on a hayride now. But um, Christmas, Christmas is my jam. That's that's where I. Uh, that's true. Yeah. That's where I breathe in terms of holidays. Good to know. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Um, we'll be interviewing you soon about another piece of yours. Uh, but thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I had a little bit of cold brew before we came in. So I do just like want to keep talking. But I understand that people who are driving have like maybe gotten to their destination or maybe they're just like done listening to this. And for that, I say, <laughs> go listen to the other ones. <laughs> um, oh, my gosh. But I, if you can imagine... This is her on cold brew. She's pretty much like this. Not cold brew. <laughs> Thank you so much. And that is true. It's true. But seriously, th- right. thank you so much uh, for providing this, this avenue to tell stories and this safe space and this caring and nurturing space. Never once did I feel unsafe. Never once did I not feel supported. Kind of for the first time ever, I felt truly heard. And I encourage anybody who's listening who has a story to tell, If you don't know where to tell that story, stop by. It's personal. We're listening. We want to hear your stories. And they all deserve the spotlight if you want to give it your story, that spotlight. So this is the safe space you've been looking for. Oh, that's so beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. I love it. I couldn't even look at you while I said it because I would have started crying. (laughs) All right, shut me up. Turn me up. Whatever it is. Okay, bye. Hey all, Liz and Riley here, the creators of It's Personal. It's Personal is all about human connection, and although we are practicing physical distancing, we are so excited to continue to bring you our personal space workshops, which we are taking digital. We hope to see you online. Email us at hello at itspersonalonstage.com to reserve your spot. Just because we are apart doesn't mean we can't create together. Follow us on Instagram at itspersonalonstage. Let's get personal at a distance.